So Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And as he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother's come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and, uh, and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, before we consider your word, let us pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, my wife and daughters lately have been uh, going through a rather interesting book um, that, that, that's a daily reading, and it's kind of a question and answer type of journal, and so each day has a question that they begin to answer, and one of these questions stood out to me uh, that I thought was worth uh, reflecting on. Uh, the, the question was, if you lived in the Garden of Eden, what would you do during the day? And I was listening as this was read off and I could hear what the kids had been, had been uh, saying that they would do. And so my oldest Ember, she says, well, I would like to go swimming, which makes sense. It'd be this beautiful, luscious water. And so she wants to go swimming. 
And then uh, my next young, uh, youngest uh, daughter, uh, Mandolin, she says, well, uh, you know, it's not often you're in this beautiful garden. It'd be great to go through it and figure out the different foods and try the different foods to eat. I thought that makes sense. And uh, Cedar, she says, well, uh, to be honest, I just want to talk with the squirrels and, uh, and go explore. And Cascade says that she would like to um, pick flowers and uh, she would like to go swimming as well. And they said, Dad, what would you like to do? And I thought, well, you know, let's see, I'm out here. Uh, you know, I think I'd like to just go explore to go for this long walk all the way through. And then because I've been on a long walk, I too would be hungry. So I'd like to have a big meal and then very full and very tired. I'd probably like to just lay down and take a nap. <laughs> and then I thought, well, what, what did my wife say? And she says, well, I think I would like to talk with the animals too. And she says, but not only talk with the animals, I'd like to talk with the Lord face to face, you know. And uh, I kind of reflected on that and I thought, uh, you know, at the root of my answer, <laughs> it didn't look so good after I heard my wife's. You see, <laughs> I, I was seeking the, the pleasures and goods from the Lord, but I wasn't actually seeking the Lord himself. And see, while my, while my wife, she was looking for time with the Father, um, I was really only seeking the Father's things. Now, you better believe that when she said, well, I would like to speak with the Lord, I piped up, well, me too, and, uh, you know, and, and I would. I, I, that, that, that part is true. But it did raise the question, you know, how often am I in my pursuit of, quote-unquote, following the Lord, and yet I, I just am sort of checking the box to have a sense that I've done what is right, and not a sense that I really desire to have my heart be with the Father's heart, that what makes him happy would make me happy, that I would find a true joy in spending time with my Father in heaven. Are, are you ever uh, like me in this place? You know, um, this, this parable that we're in this morning, it speaks to that, that very place. Here in chapter 15 of, of uh, the Gospel of Luke, we, we have three parables that are placed together, and these three they really highlight um, being lost and being found. And each one of these ends with this idea of, of celebration. And so we have the lost uh, sheep, uh, the lost coin, and of course, the lost son, or as I've been arguing, the lost sons. And, and this parable, it, it not only gives us a picture of the heart of, of God in it, but as we examine it and unpack it, it really gives us the heart of the gospel itself, a, a message and reality of repentance and grace. And this, re, this repentance and grace, it's really not just meant for rebellious outsiders. This parable helps me see it's actually for religious insiders as well. It's a parable that was told by Jesus to two groups of people. Previously, I closed by showing the audience of this set of three was the tax collectors and sinners on one hand, and the Pharisees and the scribes on the other. And the, the emphasis of this parable was told so that it left a tension for the Pharisees listening. You see the sinners and tax collectors, they would have listened to each of these. They would have specifically heard the story of the younger son. And the sinners and tax collectors, they would have been able to identify with the, the younger son. And they would have said, ah, we can see that there is a coming back and a returning to the father and rece being received in grace. And the Pharisees, as they would have listened to this and the scribes, they could, if they had ears to hear it, they would have heard of their own, their own walk with the Lord in this as well. In, in that they desired to, you know, uh, 
receive the goods of the father, but remain apart from them. They would have identified with the elder brother if they would have taken this to heart. And of course, as the parable ends, and this is the great tension of it, as it ends, we don't know if the elder brother goes into the celebration or not. He is outside as this parable ends. And what a great tension for where this is at in Jesus's time as he's telling this parable, because it, the, the Pharisees and the scribes have yet to see the risen, resurrected Christ and have this moment where they too will believe and enter in. And so the first section of this parable, what we've highlighted previously was that at great cost to himself, God welcomes and receives lost sinners with celebration. For when the father saw the son coming home, his response was compassion. His response was generosity to welcome his rebellious son home. And this week we will see that it is possible to be with the father and yet not in the celebration. To merely want the father for what you can get from the father and not really truly want the father himself. It's possible to have outwardly done all the right things, to even be in proximity to the father and yet not be a recipient of his love. And therefore, these people are lost. And, and so if I might just put my finger where it may hurt a little bit more, is that for this reason, though your outward actions may make us look like Christians, it is still possible to have this elder brother mentality and be lost. You can be near home, but not at home. And so as we unpack this second half of the parable, I'm going to be looking at it from two sides here. One is the elder brother's lostness, but then we will conclude by looking at the need for a true and loving elder brother. So first, the elder brother's lostness. Now, amazingly, uh, in a parable about a rebellious son who ran off and was lost, this parable ends with the younger brother found and the younger brother in the celebration. And the elder son is the one who at the end of this seems to be lost. And we see how this unfolds as we turn at verse 25 uh, through 27. It says, Now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. And it's almost as the way this parable unfolds. It's like the elder brother is like the last one to realize what actually has been going on. So he inquires and he's asking one of the servants what has happened. And he, he, he's realizing these things. First, he sees, number one, his brother is back home. But not only is his brother back home, something interesting, number two, is that his brother has been brought back home with a welcome. There, there is gladness that he is home. And, and as if these two are not enough, there's a third element, which is that the, the younger brother is not only home and the father welcomes him, but there is great celebration. Hence the music, hence the dancing, hence the feasting. And recall that we've spoken before that meat wasn't on the menu every day, at least not red meat. You, you might have fish fairly regularly, but, but to, to eat the, the, the fattened calf, I mean, this was reserved for, for, for big feasts, for weddings and celebrations like that. It was very costly. So then what's the, what's the elder brother's response at this moment? Well, what the elder brother's response could have been, should have been, would have been to say, no way, he's home. Finally, what a relief. 
I, so good to hear. He could have ran into the, into the celebration and picked up his younger brother in his arms and twirled him around and been very happy that his younger brother was home and joined in with the hugging and the loving. But the response couldn't be any further for, from this. For verse 28 says, he was angry and he refused to enter into the celebration. Uh, anger tends to be a common trait for those who are self-righteous, like this elder brother. Here his heart is exposed, and we see the heart of someone who is unlike the father with compassion. Rather, he's angry. And so, friends, if anger is a, 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 a consistent thing that you struggle with, consider if you have this elder brotherish mentality, because here he has animosity for his brother rather than love. Why, why the bad blood? Why the bitterness? Well, the elder son explains this in verse 29 through 30, where he says, he was angry and fused, or sorry, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Again, we see here the, the son's heart towards the, his father. Uh, the first word that the elder brother actually says in this parable, the very first word that we hear him say is, look. It's a very dismissive way. It's a disrespectful way to speak to your own father. It was a way of ignoring the family relations while you treat your parent like someone who's a servant off in the field that you might say, look, get back to work. And just as the, the younger son, when he was coming home, recall this from a couple of weeks ago, when the younger son was coming home, he had in his heart this plan that he was going to rehearse. He says, I'm going to rehearse law by saying, I'm going to do right and get right so the father will accept me back in. Recall this? He says, and then he will have to treat me least like a servant. So the younger son comes back with law. But here we hear the elder brother just doing the exact same thing. But on the other side of the coin, he's rehearsing law. Um, he begins to say and speak about the things that means he's the one who's worthy of the celebration. At least a tender, tasty goat. So he highlights both the obedience and lack of disobedience. I hope you catch that where he says, I've, I've served you, I've obeyed you, and on the other side, I've never disobeyed you. He says, I've not only been doing all the right things, I haven't been doing all the wrong things. And, and, and it's true. In the confines of this parable, he's right. At least it seems that um, he has been living in outstanding ways. And Jesus tells this parable so that the Pharisees who hear this parable will recognize they too had been doing right. They too had been praying, they've been giving, they've been tithing, they've been studying, they've been busy obeying, and they've been busy not disobeying. And so we come to understand the meaning here. And yet that is not the complete picture, is it? See, what elder brothers are guilty of is trying to live like the younger brother, but doing so in merely Christian, socially acceptable ways. It's a desire, as I've been speaking about previously, to get the father's goods without getting the father. Isn't that what the younger son wanted? He wanted his inheritance, not the father. And isn't this here what the elder brother wants too? He wants an inheritance. He wants the party. 
And, and he wants it to be a particular set of people who will be at this party too. He says, I want the party for me and my friends, not to include you, Father. And this is why these words should be taken so seriously here, where Jesus calls the Pharisee, Pharisees, where he says, look, you are whitewashed tombs. And the reason is, is because the picture is not of, of born-again Christians who will join Jesus in eternity. It's a picture of people who outwardly appear clean, but inwardly they are dead. There's no heart for the Father. There's no recognition of who God is and a desire to be with Him. And so they are not saved. And then much like the Pharisee in this parable, uh, um, the Pharisee and tax collector um, uh, parable, we, we, we see that he also uses the younger son just like the Pharisee does in that in the Pharisee and tax collector parable, to use this, the sins of his younger brother to make himself appear bigger. And this is why he brings in the, hey, just to highlight, I've been doing it all right, and let me just step on, on my younger brother's back here to show you, I haven't squandered the property with prostitutes like he has. So what a contrast. What a contrast. The, the father rejoices, and the son burns with anger. And this brings us to a place where we have to come to a deeper understanding, friends, of what being lost is. I hope this will settle on you this morning here. Lost doesn't just mean doing all the wrong things. It can also mean doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. Uh, things um, that in our minds make us feel as though we, we are now closer to the Father, and, and there can be some truth in that, but if it's only for checking the box, it leaves us like the elder son, not in the celebration. And in the case of the Christian, you and I are always going to be tempted to revert and go back to law. Like the younger son, like the elder son, go back to man-centered efforts to justify ourselves, to point to our fruit as the source of our salvation rather than the root, friends, which is Jesus Christ himself. So it is possible to have outwardly done all the right things and be near the Father in proximity, but far from the Father's heart, and in the end, completely outside the the party. It is possible to look like a Christian and yet not be. Now, I want to make a careful distinction here. I I hope you hear this. I think it is possible to have an elder brother personality who never really loves God or Christ but only uses him These are the folks who won't ever enter into the celebration. And at the same time, I I do hope you understand, it is very possible to have what I would call an elder brotherish tendency while being a true Christian, okay? Meaning as a follower and a disciple, you recognize in your heart that you too can at times lose sight of grace and veer back towards self-justification, to comparisons, to anger, to having a serious lack of joy. But the difference is, friends, is that Christians, when they see this in their own hearts, they hate it. They despise this in themselves. They say, I don't like this ugliness in me. I I want to return back to a heart of just pure uh, joy in the Father who recognizes the grace that I'm under. And uh, this brings us here uh, to, to a place where we would say that all elderish brother Christians must again and again, we beat our breast and we say, Lord, have mercy on me too, a sinner. 
Richard Lovelace, he puts it this way. He says, people who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus apart from their present spiritual achievements are subconsciously radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness, a defensive criticism of others, and they come naturally to hate other cultural styles and other races in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. I think he's right. This is what we must catch in ourselves, and it's what we must repent of. So then, amazingly to me, as if the father's outrageous grace for the younger son wasn't enough, we see then tremendous grace for who else? For the elder son. A heart of compassion for the elder son. This is amazing. The father could have gone out to the the elder son, and when the elder son says, look, you didn't do any of this for me, the father's response could have been, hey, look, if you want to be that way, fine. Go ahead. Go grab a goat. Grab your friends. Go off and have a party. If that's really what you want, get out of here. We don't really want you here anyways. But that's not his heart. Look how he responds. The compassion of the father. Verse 31, he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother, he was dead and and is alive. He was lost and he's found. Uh, Church, what we must catch here is that one son went off in rebellion and was far from the father. The second son remained at home, but he too was far. And and, and so this leaves us here with a need for a third son in this parable. To which you might say, Thomas, there's only two sons in the story. There's only two sons in the parable. What are you talking about third son? Well, I want to remind you that this parable is told by the third son. Um, We need an elder brother that will be our true and loving elder brother. In the parable, we see a founding love of the father. The father runs out to the younger brother to receive him back safe and sound. And the father leaves the party and to seek out the angry, self-righteous elder brother. This reveals the heart of God to us in both cases, that God has a love and a compassion for who? The rebellious outsiders. And God has a compassion and a love for who? The religious insiders. And in some ways, we could say that the father was actively fulfilling the role of the elder brother in his compassion towards the younger son. Let's rewind to Genesis for a minute. You recall with Cain and Abel, where Cain slays his brother, And God calls down to him, uh, hey, where's your brother? And and Cain lies, covering up his sin, saying, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And so from very on in the Bible, there's this understanding that brothers are to care for each other. That there is an, an aspect that they are to, at deep cost to themselves, seek and care for one another. And not wish them dead, not bring about their death. And so too in Jesus' time, just so, the, the eldest son had the greater responsibility to care for his siblings underneath of him. There was an expectation that he would go and seek the rebellious younger brother, calling them to come to their senses and guiding them back home uh, safely. Um, The prodigal son should have had an elder brother who would have even at great cost to himself chased down the wayward son in a far off country. 
Uh, Ed Clowney has this a great tale that he tells about the Vietnam conflict and war. He says there, there was a, a, a son who was over there in Vietnam and the family been receiving letters and then they don't receive anything. And so the family's concerned. They're, they don't hear from the government saying your son's dead. They don't hear from him saying he's alive. They're worried. And so the, the elder brother is sent and flies from the U.S. over to Vietnam. And he enters into the battlefields and enters into the jungle trying to find his brother. And on both sides of the conflict, everybody knew who he was. And so he was left alone, unharmed, because both sides honored what this brother was doing, seeking his younger brother to to care for him and see if he was alive. And they simply called him the brother. Uh, Friends, this, this prodigal son in this parable, he didn't have that kind of a good elder brother. But you and I do. Not one that just would leave home for a foreign country. But friends, you and I have one who left all of heaven to come to earth. You recall from Mark chapter 3, how Jesus considers himself with you and I. Where he's there teaching and with, with the people who are listening. And somebody comes and says, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are outside here. He said, no, 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 no. Who are my mothers and my brothers? They're the ones here who are listening and, and following the will of God himself. And, and, uh, and also we have Hebrews uh, chapter 2, where we read, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from one Father. For which reason he, meaning Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren, speaking about us, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And so church, it, It is correct that Jesus Christ is our true and loving elder brother, who is the one at great cost who came to seek and to save the lost and to rejoice when they are found. When when we as Christians find ourselves in the position of rebellion like the younger son, or when we as Christians find ourselves in the position of religion like the elder son, I, I hope you catch that in both these pendulums as they swing out in both ways, the solution for both of these brothers is the same. It's, it's for you and I to reflect on our true, loving elder brother who came to save us by dying on the cross for our sin. To remember that if he paid the ultimate price to save us from sin, how could we, like the younger brother, continue to spurn him by continuing to live in overt sin in opposition to the words of Jesus? We can't. And if he came to die for us, and our sins on the cross, how can we tell ourselves that we are so righteous and, and good that we don't really need that? We can't. Where's boasting? If the cross is needed for all men, for all have fallen short, where's boasting? It's to be excluded. It's to be done away with. When we then as Christians, we, we must come to an end of ourselves. We We must realize both in our efforts and our way to get away from our Heavenly Father and our efforts to live in all the right ways And these can be ends in themselves that leave us without the Father. And the moment that this clicks for you is the moment that you move from being merely just a good person, realizing that being a good person won't ever cover up being a bad person. It still won't warrant you being saved. It's not just a matter of turning from bad things to good things. It's a matter of turning from placing our trust and our hope in the rebellious ways of the world from turning and placing our trust and our hope and doing all the right things to put them back on Christ alone. 
our true and good elder brother. Friends, repentance is not just doing all the right things, but repenting of the wrong motivations for why we've done the right things. Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way, when Pharisees sin, they feel terrible and repent. They may punish themselves and bewail their weaknesses. And when they finish, however, they remain elder brothers. Remorse and regret is just part of the self-salvation project. Pharisaical repentance doesn't go deep enough to get at the real problems. Only applying the true solution of seeing Jesus Christ, the grace-filled one, taking your place at great cost, will begin to change us down deep. You see, in Christ we have a brother who left all the safety and security of heaven, and at great cost he saw you. Isn't this uh, Philippians 2? Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found Uh, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient uh, to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the reality that the only way God could welcome us home, the only way that you and I could be invited into the feast and enjoy the celebration with all of heaven is if we traded places with our true elder brother, the son, Jesus Christ. This is why he was placed on the cross, to die the death we deserve. And this outcome changes our hearts in some particular ways. It changes our heart for the Father. It changes our hearts for our brothers and sisters in this room. Jonathan Pennington, he puts it uh, saying, even we who have known the grace of a heavenly Father can be stingy about that grace when being applied to others. Uh, the image of the angry older brother challenges us to have God's heart and compassion towards other sinners. Our compassion towards others is a good indicator of how well we understand our own need for grace. So there's an internal work that needs to happen in, in each of our hearts. But how also we then as a church love those who come in here through the doors as elder brothers and those who come as younger brothers. When a younger brother walks into our midst in this church, uh, will we love them like the father? Will we be patient as they wrestle with what Jesus has done for them? And while they come to fully recognize their need to live for Christ, will we patiently bear with them? And will we celebrate that they're in our midst? When the elder brothers are in our midst, will we like Jesus just keep pointing them to the cross of Christ as their only hope? Will we Help them turn from being a miserable Christian who deep inside can be very angry and help their hearts melt back into joy for the Lord. It has been said that at one time or another, in fact, most of us have been like one or the other of these brothers, but we have never known anyone like this father, nor would we ever claim to be such ourselves. So friends, if I can close on on a personal note, um, Hopefully, they'll invite you to talk more about this parable with me if you'd like. I would love to. Uh, but my, my life uh, has been, uh, previously when I was younger, it, it was living out in a very mild sense, the rebellious son. Um, and then just as surely as I entered into that, I, I, as I turned to Christ, I ended up going and, and becoming eventually the, the elder brother, miserable, a miserable Christian, checking all the boxes. Um, But now as one who has found a a deep-seated joy in Christ and the gospel, I'm one who recognizes day by day, you know what the real truth is? Every day, I still have a little younger brother who lives inside of me. And every day, I still have a little elder brother who lives inside of me. 
I mean, this is why as I drive down the highway here, I can be outrageously angry when someone cuts me off, but then I look down and I recognize I'm going five, ten over at the same time, right? Because there's an elder brother and a younger brother mentality inside each of us, really. It's why I, I as a Christian, at times can pat myself on the back saying, I'm doing it all correctly, and then excuse myself saying it's okay when I think negatively about others, or I assume the worst about people, or I respond in anger to those I love. But when we turn to Christ for day by day, and we see the great cost that for no earthly good reason that he would call us into the celebration with him, friends, it begins to melt our hearts and it gives us the patience, the grace, and the love that you and I need as we in turn deal with our younger and with our elder brothers together. Would you pray with me? Father, I do pray uh, that you would root out of us an elder brother mentality. Uh, I, I pray that when people would come into this church, they would not say, here we find a church that's fel- filled with self-righteous people. But they say, oh, here's a church with sinners. And Jesus comes to heal sinners who hate their sin and love their Savior and want to look more like their Savior. And so we, we cannot do this on our own. We're crying out for help, Father. Would you do this work in us and for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.